Good morning, friends. Hello, hello, hello. It's wonderful to see you today. We're grateful that uh, for all the folks that are here in the room and for everybody that is online. Uh, and we, uh, we know that uh, this has been uh, a great week for lots of folks. We've got some college grads in the room today. And got some college grads to come, and uh, so we're excited to celebrate with them. Uh, it looks like what a uh, fantastic Friday night, Saturday that our middle school kids had with uh, with Stacy and Jacques, and, and we're grateful for those leaders and all the folks who were that. So if you're middle school, ch- make sure to check that out, and uh, uh, lots of great stuff still to come. Well, if you are uh, joining us online today, we say hello. Uh, we know that uh, you could either be with us live right now on Facebook or YouTube or on ccmonline.org, or maybe you're listening later on in the week. Whichever way it is, we're grateful that you're here as part uh, of our church family. Uh, We want you to know that we'll be receiving communion together and praying in a little bit. And so if you haven't already done so, to uh, go ahead and get uh, some elements ready to go. And uh, uh, Pastor Claire will be leading us, and we'll be receiving that together. So for everybody online, we say welcome. Um, Well, good morning. We're going to start... Our call to worship with Psalm 23, one of my favorites, and it's a psalm about journeying with the Lord and together. So would you just look around the room and just notice the beautiful faces, the beautiful bodies of those that we're journeying with together. And let's hold each other in mind and in heart as we read Psalm 23 together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You make me lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside still waters. You restore my soul. You lead me in right paths for your namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. I love the scripture that says that Christ was slain before the foundation of the world, which means that there was no surprise what you needed on this day or any other day of your life. And so as you come for communion today and people bless you and say the life of Christ for you, would you stand in? that place, receiving that blessing of the life of Christ, and then walk with that blessing and know that you're carrying Christ with you wherever you go. Of course, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, so Christ is with you now, but sometimes you just need to look into the eyeballs of another person who says the life of Christ is with you now. Remember Julian of Norwich, she said, Christ has no body on earth but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which Christ looks out at the world. Christ has no body on earth but yours. Yours are the hands, the feet, the voice, the hope. 
hope of Christ in us. And so this morning, I'll be blessing the bread and wine. And if you're receiving it in your seat, you can take it with me. But others of you will come up and receive it right here with other members of the body of Christ. Remembering the powerful night where Jesus, you sat with your friends at the table and you broke bread and you said, take this, all of you, and eat. My body will be broken for you. And every time you eat, remember me. And after supper was ended, Jesus lifted the cup and said, Take this, all of you, and drink. This is the cup of the new covenant. My blood will be shed for you and for all people so that sins will be forgiven. And every time you drink, remember me. And together we say it as a community, Jesus, we remember you. Jesus, we remember you. And if you'd pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory now and forever. Amen. Welcome to come. Thank you. Um, yes, as we continue our worship and look up to the, the many opportunities that God has given us as a church for the month of May, I just want to take a minute to share with you some of the things that are happening here at Crossroads. First of all, if you're new today, we welcome you. We're so glad to always see new faces in the congregation and um, we would love the chance to connect with you, to say hello to you, to meet you. Um, if you want to come over to the Next Steps kiosk, which is right over there next to the coffee station, we would love to connect with you. We have a free gift for you. Or if you prefer to uh, just snap a picture of the QR code behind me, uh, that will also take you in some Next Steps at Crossroads. And of course, whatever you're, whenever you feel comfortable, whatever you feel comfortable with, whatever your level of comfortability is, in connection. We are um, just want to be available to you when that time comes. And we have a finding out about Crossroads uh, class. I don't know if I want to call it a class, a gathering. Uh, this is a very informal uh, meet and greet with Pastor Scott, Pastor Claire, and Hannah, and AJ. It's a party. It's a party. Okay, <laughs> it's a party. And this is the time that if you're new to Crossroads or newer to Crossroads, and you might have questions, like, why do we do this or why don't we do that? This is the, the best time to come and to ask any question. No, no question is off limits, but it will also be a time for you to not only meet um, some of our core leadership people, but it will be a time for you to, um, to connect with other people that might be new in the church and hear some of our core values and our core uh, our mission statement and all of that kind of stuff. So. If you're interested in that, it's going to be on a Thursday night from one, uh, for one hour, and you can sign up at Next Steps or you can sign up online. 
and then also we have a, what else do we have coming up? We have the self-care Saturday on May 13th. So this is for women only, and registration is required because it's a limited amount of seats, and I know that it, I think it's almost half full. So if, you, um, if, you think, if you're thinking about going, you don't want to wait. And so this is a chance for you to just care for yourself. So many times we're, we spend a lot of our time caring for other people, and we know the scripture says to, to love God, to love our neighbor, and to love ourselves. So this is an opportunity for you to love yourself on May 13th from 10 to 1230. So you can sign up at the next steps or online. And then, of course, we have our child dedication coming up on Mother's Day. It's one of our things we love to do on Mother's Day is to um, give the opportunity for parents to dedicate their children to God. And so we as a church just surround you. We pray for your children. We pray for their future to be blessed by God. And so if you have a child that you would like to dedicate to God with your church family, you can sign them up and uh, we'll, we'll get them. We'll do that on Mother's Day together. So that's just a few things that are happening the beginning of May. And there are other things that are coming, but I won't overwhelm you with all of the things we have happening. Uh, always remember to check out our website, ccmonline.org, and our Facebook page. And we share daily on Facebook and social media some of the things and opportunities that you have for Crossroads. So thank you. Thanks, Kathleen. A lot of exciting stuff going on. And yes, anyway, morning everybody. Hope you guys are well. All right, I'll tell you how I'm doing when I'm done. Uh, if it doesn't go well, I'm going to let that balloon go. That'll be your problem for the rest of the week. But anyway, only kidding. Only kidding, it'll be my problem too. <laughs> we'll all be in this together. We've been going through a study on the book of Nehemiah, building our community. We're in week three. And just uh, if you haven't been here, I really encourage you to check out the last couple of weeks. Nehemiah is just so full of so much goodness, so many different uh, really principles for life, for leadership, for vision, for life vision. I want to talk to you a little bit about that today. Um, it's really kind of like a textbook uh, of just God's goodness in the life of a people. And certainly Nehemiah is the primary character, but uh, it's, it's really a whole group of people responding to what God is doing. And um, that's my, my longing and hope, not only for myself, uh, but for all of us, that we would just be paying attention to God's desire, God's hope for us, um, you may feel like today that uh, you're wondering, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really have much vision uh, for something. We talked about in the first week a little bit about generally when you do get vision for something, uh, you lack competency for that. That's normal. Uh, there's a goodness to that. So you try to get busy if you kind of follow the process well. And you see this with Nehemiah gets busy becoming competent in what he has vision for. Uh, and we see that really throughout the first, uh, almost the whole book of Nehemiah, but certainly the first seven chapters or so. And then uh, as time goes on, what can happen, especially for, well, for anybody, but for Christ followers, this happens. Time can go on and you can feel like, for instance, as a Christian, 
that you've gotten a lot of competencies. You've prayed for years, perhaps. You've read scripture for a long time. And you think you're pretty competent. And you're probably right at a certain level. Um, But then the challenge becomes, uh, and some of you might be able to relate to this, the challenge becomes having vision. Because our competency, we begin to allow that to be in the driver's seat. And what happens is we miss out on some of the newness and what God has for this season or the seasons to come. So the challenge is is to kind of stay in the tension of allowing God to, to challenge us, to allow us to dream and have desires. Um, I've already talked to a couple of you over the last couple of weeks and just saying I, I'm not really in touch with what vision in my life might be or desire. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, you're, there's nothing wrong with you. Uh, I would just say just sit and pay attention. Pay attention to the movement of God in you. We'll talk a little bit about that today. But pay attention to, first of all, your head, what's going on in your thought life, what, what might God have you dreaming about. We talked in the first week about, you know, what keeps you up at night. And we're going to probably talk about that this whole series. What are the things that cause you to be unsettled and you would like to see it different? That's something to really pay attention to. What's going on in your heart? We talked about what's, what breaks your heart. Um, and it's important to pay attention to that. What are the things that bring emotion to the surface? I was talking with one uh, wonderful person that said, I'm not sure that, I'm in, I, that I know what my uh, vision is for life, and my, I, I'm not sure what my desires are, and she began to cry, and I said, well, you might want to pay attention to that. Like, why, why is it so easy to brim up? Because some of us, the stuckness in our life is what we need to pay attention to. And God is trying to communicate to us to have vision to bring us out of that place. Now, not every time that we're kind of in pause is that something that God is in a hurry to get us out of, but sometimes it is. Sometimes we're stuck and discouraged because of the difficulty of life. And God, in that moment, might be speaking some desires and vision to us. And that's worth paying attention to. And then we apply ourselves, which is what we'll talk about today some. Uh, how do we move through this process when God starts to speak? And again, Nehemiah is a textbook example of what to do. You can write these things down in case we don't get to all of them. Um, so first of all, we talked about this in week one. You have a problem. Uh, and the problem represents the thing that maybe breaks your heart. Let me, let me also say your gut. Uh, going back to the head, heart, and gut piece, and this is kind of where I want to land, too, at the end. But pay attention to how things hit you, uh, how things just on the surface immediately, how they come to you. Pay attention to that in your life as well, uh, because maybe there's, a, there's an open door, an invitation in just how things are hitting you. God created you fearfully and wonderfully. He created you with a head, a heart, and a body, and really wants to use that. Remember, the scripture tells us in Luke 10 that we're to love the Lord our God, how? With all of our soul, which kind of encompasses everything, right? And then it says with all of our strength, with all of our heart, and all of our mind. So that's what we're talking about. We want to be full-on Christians, body, soul, and spirit, head, heart, and gut. Now, where was I? I was starting to go somewhere. 
and I lost myself. Let me see if I can bring me back. Anyway, um, so, yeah, let's go right into the scripture. Oh, I was going to say the things, the outline, just so you can jot these down. So first you have a problem, you have that thing that hits you, and it's not necessarily a bad problem, it's just something that God is inviting you into, the thing that might make you uh, weep, or some of you aren't weepers, but the thing that moves you, the thing that you're drawn into, or an issue. It might be, like for instance, a good example might be, it might be your children, like you just can't get away from thinking about your children and how to raise them well. Well, that's something to have vision around, right? Something to pay attention to. So uh, so anyway, so you've got the problem or kind of the, the question. You put that first. And then what the next thing that you see is the answer, which is kind of a combination of two things. We started to talk about it last week. We talked about the importance of planning um, and that's part of it, and we see this with Nehemiah, but also the second part of the answer is the vision itself. And that's where you kind of can, in a statement, say, this is what I would like to see different in my life or in my community, in my family, um, and this is what God's wanting me to give attention to. So you've got a problem, you have the answer, then you have the why, and the why is kind of two two parts. You could say there's four things, but it's really three. So it's the problem, the answer, all right, and the why. So the why is simply, you can have a vision, but there needs to be a reason why that's important. There needs to be a why to why you would invest part of your life or a big chunk of your life into something, right? So the why question is an important question. Why does it matter? Why does it matter that your kids, you know, grow up, uh, for instance, in an environment of faith? Why does that matter? And that's a question that's important to answer. And that question should always, if you, and you should ask that repeatedly, why is this important? And that should always bring you back to your core values, especially as a Christ follower. Why is this vision in my life important? There's such connectedness to God's kingdom. This is how God orchestrates the kingdom of God on earth by people paying attention to God's spirit and paying attention to the why of their life in addition to the vision that God's given them. That why answer can draw you through. And the second part of that why question is why now? So that's kind of part B, because sometimes the why makes total sense, but you also need to answer why now. Why is this important today, or is this important later? And that's a really helpful question. Have you ever had that, where you had vision for something, you really felt you, it was time to lean in, and we've all probably seen this, maybe we've lived into it, where we just, we just got vision, and we just crashed out there. And all of a sudden, we realize this is really bad timing. You ever hear Christians, this is the language we like to use, you know? Well, it's in God's timing. This is what this is about. Paying attention to why now, or paying attention to why later. Why might this be better for later? It doesn't mean the vision's invalid. It doesn't mean your desire's invalid. It just means God's timing is important, all right? So let's read through a little bit of this, and I do intend on being done on time with my portion of this. 
verse 11 is where we stopped last week in chapter 2. Again, try to connect back with these, uh, this time together as we go through this, if you've missed any of this, because I think it could help you. I went to Jerusalem, Nehemiah says, and after staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few others, and I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one that I was riding on. So uh, if you haven't been here, this is an important backdrop. So Nehemiah is cupbearer to the king from uh, those that study these things would say anywhere from 800 to 1,000 miles away from Jerusalem. He approaches the king with the vision that he has to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, to restore protection and safety and things like prosperity to the city of Jerusalem, um, which in that time, those broken down walls, they didn't just represent. It was a reality. It was a very unsafe environment to have the city's walls broken down. So anyway, he's been blessed by the, the king, who is Persian, not, not, uh, not Jewish, but he sends him, he blesses him, Nehemiah is Jewish, off he goes, and this is where we pick up the story. So he's been traveling, he shows up, now you've got to imagine, he shows up, he's been blessed by the king with all sorts of supplies, so he doesn't roll into town um, on a big wheel, he's coming in with like semi-trailers full of supplies, right? So he rolls in, it's pretty conspicuous. Uh, They may not know what he's doing, but they sure have an awful lot of questions as he rolls in with the other people that are with him. Remember, he's got a guard, a bunch of guards with him. Basically, he's got military coverage. Verse 13, by night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal. So at this point, he's not told them anything. The people he's with know some things. The people of Jerusalem know nothing other than they're very suspicious about this guy at this point. They don't even know who's in charge. He goes at night, he goes through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. So there's a lot of wondering. He goes at night and he does an inspection. He's been planning this. He's got vision. He's got supplies. And he goes at night to check things out. It's an important part of the process, the investigation. It's an important part for you and for me. So we get vision, but we need, it's important to do uh, due diligence, right? What am I trying to do? It's not just about having a vision. It's about what am I dealing with here? Verse 17, Nehemiah, then I said to them, after he's done all of this, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be a disgrace. I also told you about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this great work. I love this quote by Alan Turin. He said, we can only see a short distance ahead 
but we can see plenty there that needs to be done. So Nehemiah is 1,000 miles, 800 to 1,000 miles away from Jerusalem. He can only see so much. His heart's broken. He gets there. He begins to see more. But even now, you and I both know, we all know that even after the inspection, there's more to come, right? Like, even the inspection's not going to tell you everything you will deal with, but it's an important part of what's going on. So first we see the problem. It's that thing that won't go away. In verse 17, he says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Notice the language. Nehemiah says, We are in trouble. He doesn't say, Notice the trouble you're in, and I'm here to take care of this for you. He owns it. He becomes a participant with the community. You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Now, this is an important piece where the most powerful, like if you're a leader, for instance, the most powerful um, vision, uh, way to communicate vision is to build trust with integrity. Because Nehemiah is asking people in in many ways, he's going to ask them to put their lives on the line. He hasn't had a lot of time in front of them, but by him beginning to own it with them, he immediately builds influence and trust in a way that's helpful and holy. They can begin to trust this guy they've never met because he doesn't say, man, you guys are really messed up. He does say some hard things, right? You ever have that? Like, I mean, this is hard stuff. He says, you see the trouble. You're in Jerusalem lies in ruins. So for over 100 years at this point, Jerusalem... Uh, the, there's been Jews that have come back to Jerusalem, but it's just kind of a wasteland. It's torn up. And he says that it's, it's, it's a mess here. It needs attention. And somehow, they've been living in it, but they're not really giving much attention to it. That's part of vision casting, if you're a leader, is to bring attention to what the reality already is. He's not creating any new thing. It's already there. And he's just saying, this is the problem. You do realize you're not paying attention to this problem that we are in, right? Kind of reminds me. You guys have heard me, some of you have heard me tell stories about the plumbing at our house. We have an amazing house. We love our house. And I am not a plumber, right? Like, and I'm not a carpenter. And I go on. I like, I'm not a lot of things. And it shows up in our house. But there's a lot of things that, like, you know, uh, toilets that you flush them and they run forever. You know what I mean? Like, we got that going on. Uh, Actually, we have that going on at our house. The toilet's not running right now. I made sure it was off before I came here. But um, that kind of stuff, and you just live with it. If you you live, you know, maybe if you're in an apartment, you're one of those people that have the blessing of just call up Sam or... Jill and she'll come over and they'll come over and fix your stuff because that's a part of the agreement. And you're, well, if you're in a house, you just start to live with stuff. Um, if you're a house owner and you don't live with certain things, I don't feel bad about you any, or for you. Most of us, there's things like it just, it's like, and then you get a guest that comes over and they notice it. And then if you trust the guest at a certain level, you listen to them. You're not just, you're not just like, uh, feeling like you're being disrespected, you can kind of chuckle about it. It's like, oh, yeah, 
he or she's right, you know. So we get these, we get these touring people that kind of come through our homes, home at times, and one of them's name is Sean, uh, and he's my brother, and he shows up, and he's so, I trust him with my life, right? And he can say stuff to me that should really be humiliating, but I really, I'm kind of glad he notices stuff because he usually fixes it. Anyway, he was at our house a few weeks ago fixing our upstairs shower. It was leaking. It had been leaking for about a year and a half. And our house really isn't that old. It's only like 20 years old, 22 years. So I just figured it shouldn't really be leaking yet anyway. But so he, he, he did. He came over. He fixed the shower leak. And uh, he noticed the shower head. So he brought me the shower head. He's like, hey, you might need this. I got this about a month ago. It's been sitting. <laughs> For those of you that have changed shower heads, you know what this, how funny this is. This takes like two minutes to change. Sitting on the counter in, in the bathroom. Uh, but anyway, I have vision to have a shower head that's new. I do have vision for it. I will change it. I'm going to get a call from Sean sometime this afternoon. He'll be offering again to do it. Um, but anyway, that was not my motivation. My motivation is sometimes we need help paying attention to some things that would be helpful in our life. And it's no, it's no hit against you or me. It's just how it is. This is why things, like when we talk about spiritual direction, or we talk about, you know, having a spiritual friend or being in a small group, this is part of why we talk about that. Because we all need people that notice things in our life that ultimately we really want, we hope for, we desire. But we have grown so used to living in our own personal environment that things just go by the wayside. And, you know, some of them aren't life and death things, but they do affect us in the long haul. They do have an effect on our life, and it does keep us from having our best life. Now, you and I don't always have to have somebody else speak into our life in order to get vision or to be aware but it sure is helpful many times. And if nothing else, if nothing else, who do you reflect or bounce the vision and ideas that God's giving you off of that you can trust, that you know they have your good that they're looking out for? I lost my glasses somewhere. Sean might have taken them. Anyway, so let's think about it. What? Oh, man. I got the fancy Claire ones. Somebody get a picture. <laughs> you guys don't know how many times I've seen these on Claire, and I thought, she can pull that off, but, man, I hope I never have to put those on. So let, let's go back over this. What captures your imagination? Yeah, I might say something that I can't read, but. What do you day, daydream? I will when I need to. 
and it, it'll be brief. I'm almost done, so I can avoid putting those glasses on. Uh, it's going to be an interesting afternoon for me. Anyway, what captures your imagination? What makes you angry? What brings you joy? What do you daydream about when it comes to the way things should be or could be? What fills your heart? Now, I want to say something about this, and, and maybe this is really where I'll pull it together for today. I, I apologize because I'm not going to get far into this, but um, some of you are really happy right now. Anyway, um, I, I, I want to talk to all of us about the distraction or the trap or at times what is a discouragement when it comes to listening to stories like about Nehemiah. I think that we have to be careful of the trap of grandiosity. That the reality of it is maybe none of us will ever do anything like Nehemiah. The truth is we probably won't, but we'll do other things that are huge in God's sight. And what happens, and I believe that in many ways it's a scheme of the enemy, is we, we check out. We, we just feel like, and this is one of the places we get stuck, we just feel like, I, I'm not going to rebuild a wall. This is too big. And we, when we have these conversations, we're thinking so astronomical that we just we feel like we can't do anything about it. And it literally becomes a trap. It is a place of stuckness in our life. Paul says it this way. He says, do not compare yourself by others. And that's what happens. We read these stories or we know of other people that have these amazing things that go on. It's even the problem with personal illustrations is sometimes it can feel like, oh my gosh, you know, I'll never be that. And the enemy sets those up as excuses for us and it keeps us from the amazing things that God great work that God has for us to do. You, and we'll get into this in a couple of weeks, a lot more, whoever you are, you are doing a great work or have an opportunity to do a great work and allow God to do a great work in your life and through your life. God wants to fulfill you. God wants to give you purpose God wants to give you a sense when you wake up in the morning that your life matters. And God may never ask you to rebuild a wall. But maybe it's raising your teenager. Maybe that's the wall right now that you need to rebuild. Maybe it's sharing your faith with coworkers or friends or simply living your life as a Christ follower in your workplace with integrity, honesty, grace, support. Maybe for you, it's getting out of debt. That is your wall of rebuilding right now. 
And God wants you to put focus on it. He doesn't want you to be discouraged. He doesn't want you to, to feel like you're in a trap. He doesn't want you to use the, the amount of it as an excuse. God's inviting you to rebuild something or build something. It might be working with youth or children. It might be building a business to invest more in God's kingdom. Again, remember, it always comes back to your values. The why question will always get us back to that. Why, why, why? And as a Christ follower, it always comes back to this plays a part. My life is is part of this orchestra that is the kingdom of God. Let me share this just to end because it's interesting. Claire and I had a conversation um, around Nehemiah. And one of the things that Claire and I pay a lot of attention to, some of you will understand this, some of you maybe not as much, but, um, you know, the scripture has a very patriarchal backdrop. None of us are naive to that, right? It's just, it's... It's throughout history and throughout certainly biblical history. That's the culture. Then you've got the writers. And then you come to a book like Nehemiah. And it's almost as if there's, there's no women primarily mentioned in the book, right? And that becomes a place of struggle and can become a place of stuckness. But anyway, I want you to know something about how God works and is working in your life. And you don't even understand fully. Remember that Jesus said all things are possible. With people, things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible, right? So Artaxerxes is the king of, he's the king of Persia. And kind of mysteriously, I would say, and you might say supernaturally, he releases Nehemiah from being his cupbearer although he tells him he needs to come back, but he sends him out with all these supplies, with the military, we went through that last week. And you can read these things and you can read them in a vacuum and you can maybe miss the bigger powerful picture that I don't even know if Nehemiah got. So Nehemiah, his, uh, his, the guy he's serving, Artaxerxes, his dad, king of Persia, previously is a guy named Xerxes. Some of you might be familiar with Xerxes, maybe not. Xerxes is king when a woman named Esther is queen in Persia. Esther has a love for her people, the Jews, but she's serving in Persia. Now, historians and those that know these things, they, they don't think that Artaxerxes is Esther's son for various reasons. However, he's in the same palace as a kid, running around in these halls, which may seem like totally unrelated to us. But because the scriptures aren't laid out chronologically, we miss how some of these things could have happened. So 
Imagine this little boy, Artaxerxes, running around the hallways, and this woman, Queen Esther, is telling him about the Jewish people. Esther, if you're familiar, would end up risking her life for the protection of the Jewish people to the point where she may die. Her husband, Xerxes, ends up being betrayed by his his point soldier. The head of the palace guard would end up killing Xerxes. He wasn't the cupbearer, but he's as close to a cupbearer as a person can get. Artaxerxes had every reason to be distrusting of Nehemiah. But God understands it all. And God is doing a work in Esther's life and in the history of humankind and in the people of the Jewish people. And Nehemiah is paying attention and Artaxerxes is paying attention. We don't know specifically how much influence that was, but there is no doubt that with man... There are things impossible in your life. But there's an Esther in your history. And you may not even know about her. But God knows. And God is not surprised by what breaks your heart. God is waiting for that perfect moment to draw you out. Have you do that? be that thing. You may never rebuild a wall, but you have such an amazing place on the wall. So God, even now, I just pray that we would know what the invitation is for our life. that we would be people that would be willing to even know to what extent we're willing to invest our life in the life you've given us. In the community you've given us. Help us to know, God, what extent to bring your goodness to the earth as it is in heaven. So just put your hand on the shoulder of the friend you came with or someone near you and just begin to bless the plans that God has. Just begin to bless the plans. You don't have to say big words. Just say, I'm, I'm participating in blessing these plans for my friend. Bless them. Bless them. bless you and keep you and may God's own face shine upon you and give you peace. Bless you all. Have a beautiful week.